Welcome to FCAT After School, a podcast project from SFU's Faculty of Communication, Art, and Technology. In each episode, we join student hosts in conversation with alumni as they explore career journeys since graduation and gather advice for the next generation. In this episode, Center for Digital Media master's student, Marshall McCann, catches up with Departure Lounge virtual producer and CDM alum, Brenda Medina. Volumetric capture, LED stages, and real-time rendering engines. At Departure Lounge, these tools are transforming the way film, TV, commercials, and music videos are produced and experienced. Departure Lounge is a local Vancouver company nestled beside SFU's Center for Digital Media. And there, Brenda is at the cutting edge of Metaverse and Web3 innovation. Recorded in the offices of Departure Lounge, we joined Marshall and Brenda in exploring why these technologies are so pivotal and how they're being used right now. Whoever's listening has been in any kind of creative industry, but we're always craving for something different, or I want to be completely out of the box. This is a moment where everybody gets out of the box. Virtual production has still many branches. The main one is definitely it's pushing boundaries in filmmaking methods. So it's all about computer-aided productions uh, with different tech tools, and I would say they're still emergent tech tools, most of them for creating new ways of doing filmmaking. And filmmaking, I think, is the main bridge for any other kind of audiovisual media formats. So just to give you an example, the main service or asset we have here at Departure Lounge is called, it's a volumetric stage for volumetric capture, which means that uh, we have, it's having like 106 cameras, volumetric cameras only for capturing volume, completely synchronized, to then capture uh, shapes and shades, to then create a 3D, fully 3D hologram of a person. So it's like the new green screen, basically. So just just so I can understand, you you have these cameras that basically catch a a 360 degree view of an object or a person in in a volume, which is the space in which those cameras are pointing. Exactly. And they capture performance or the image of this thing and they create a 3D object in Exactly. So you capture a real person, they can be singing, they can be dancing, they can be talking and this will be fully captured 360 from every angle possible with this 106 cameras and that will become like a hologram of this person doing exactly what they they were doing on stage. Yeah. And that we call it that an asset that asset, which can be in different formats, uh, normally used in 3D softwares, like OBJ, that will be imported into a game engine software like Unreal or Unity, and then you can place this person hologram in absolutely anything you want. Cool. So there was a, a project at the Center for Digital Media that kind of bridged you into that. Can you talk a bit about what that project was? Yeah, definitely. So I think it was uh, some of the three projects I did. The first one was all about product design for a digital product. It's the whole process from concept making all the way to development, to create a prototype, to lead a team on how to do it step by step. 
Next project was about building visual effects for a, it was like a digital theater uh, work. And the third one was working with Departure Lounge, actually, as an industry project. And we worked on creating a concept of how, again, related to theater with Shakespeare, how to bring that experience into new platforms like the metaverse, into immersive experiences, and how people would still have that feeling of theater in a very new format for a lot of people. So that's how we started to work. And then they were like, how do we keep you? <laughs> Okay, and this this might be a dumb question, but why why do you use volumetric capture, volcap over motion capture, mocap? So the main difference between we call it volcap for volumetric, uh, volcap and mocap is that mocap what does it's it's um, registering the movement of you know the person who is doing it, and that it will become just a skeleton that then will be rigged into a three D human or a fictional character to then give that uh, that exact movement you were trying for that. So that's what mocap does right now. And volumetric capture captures not just your movement, not just the skeleton move, it captures everything. So it captures uh, the textures, it captures the shapes. So if you're wearing, a, you know, the shirt Marshall is wearing right now, it will capture every fold, the color, even how the fabric reflects. It will capture the details of his hair, his face gesture, so that's a thing. That's the main difference between mocap and volcap. That's cool, but nobody wants to see me as a three D <laughs> object. You never know. Another thing that you, you mentioned in in kind of the tools was was the LED stage. I want you to kind of expand on what that is, and for sure. So uh, we were mentioning that virtual production is about using different tech tools in order to do different filmmaking methods. One was the volumetric capture, the other is motion capture, and another is the LED screen, which here we call AR wall, but basically is a massive LED screen 4K resolution that you can use to build backgrounds for cinematic purposes, and it blends the best way possible with what you have in front, which could be the actor. So this massive screen can bring in any digital environment background you're imagining, you create it, and then... Sometimes you just build like a tiny part of the of the set in front of it. Maybe let's say that, you know, the actor is going through a door and then into a spaceship. That's the way that the left screen works. So a good example is Mandalorian, Star Wars. Maybe you've seen it. If not, I don't know what you're expecting. And yeah, oh my God, so you should just go and watch it right now. But there's this scene, right? You're in Tatooine. It's this planet that doesn't exist. It has this major spaceship. So you can imagine how much it would cost to create the entire spaceship just for this so they don't create it it's just virtually it's just an image in a massive LED screen they just created like the part of the door where then the actor goes in into the spaceship for the viewer it all blends perfectly as to just one single image mm. and so so I, I guess what I'm taking away is that is that this is transitional and and massive for the industry is because these tools are basically cutting out like major costs in terms of how you interact with like digital objects in in real space for the LED stage it's like let's say you wanted to add something you know to an area and change the lighting you just do that on the LED stage you don't have to wait for that to happen in a real set or change out all the lightings be because it's lit by the LED stage so the or, main or thing this is kind of breaking barriers in the whole filmmaking industry is one is way more cost efficiency mm. by all the th things you just said just by set building 
by the amount of talent and people you need in a normal set, the otherwise using tech like the LED screen. Uh, for example, if I have, you know, a hundred fictional soldiers, I can have them in the screen and I just need real free soldiers in front of it just to give that a sense of depth right in the, in the camera, in the image. Uh, also in terms of, uh, you know, they say it's way more sustainable because of the same, you know, every set they build, you have to then destroy it and get rid of it. Now, every environment you build digitally, you can keep it like a library. You can reuse it for so many different projects. You can adjust whatever you want from, you know, like the things around it, the lighting, just lighting cameras and hardware is, equipment is so expensive. Virtual production is all about building it on engine. So the VFX supervisor from The Lion King, I don't know if you saw it. Apparently, you don't Never see heard good of stuff. Uh, of course. But this guy was saying that virtual production is creating a game called filmmaking because you're building the world of film inside of it. So you're not just creating your film on the, you know, on engine, you're also creating your, your film set. You have your cameras, you have your lights, you have your set design. I mean, like 80% of your production is being created virtually. So that is how it's completely changing the game in film industry. It's really cool. I'm as well extremely interested in how your role kind of differs from film production or like traditional film production to virtual production. You know, I, I know that you have a bit of that background, you know, producing in those different areas. What, what have you seen are some of the major differences maybe in the skill set or in daily operations for your role as a virtual producer? It's just so different to think how you would uh, break down whatever you want to do for film in a much more efficient way where I'm telling you, you're going to do one take. And with that, you're going to create all the scenes you were thinking. So we're all kind of like a consultant in that way. But also because just filming is just a, like not even half of the process. The rest of it is a pipeline of working on game engines. A normal producer of filmmaking, I, they probably never even, you know, touch a computer if it's needed beyond editing just parts of video here is a whole other process to get from just filming all the way to the final thing so you need different techniques you dif you need different knowledge in order to get from you know the start of the project all the way to the end which could be just a 2d music video but it also could be a full immersive X xr experience so I, I yeah i guess there's a lot of overhaul when it comes to trying to get people from other I guess more traditional types of media, and and these people have tons of experience in those fields. But you know, I I really liked what you said about you're getting all these different pieces of coverage or footage in one shot. And so, how do you kind of take storytelling with that in consideration? That's the fun part, right? I don't know how long whoever is listening has been in any kind of creative industry, but we're always craving for something different, or I want to be completely out of the box. This is a moment where everybody gets out of the box. When I completely change their process, the way they do things, the way they think creatively, when I tell them, you know, with one take, you can do like as many shots as you want, then you can think, okay, so how much can I do with the final thing? How much environments or settings or places these characters go or how do they go there? So their creative freedom just expands. And that's where I think all of this stuff is really cool for storytelling. Because I just gave you so much new tools to do whatever you're looking for. Yeah, there's a lot to explore. I, you know, out of interest, I think what you're saying about 
the the stage sort of having not one place to look, but sort of a it's it's a stage, right? It feels more like a, a stage for a theater. I'm interested in in whether you know dancers or or the, traditional theater actors actually thrive in that space because of how it's set up. I don't know if you guys have worked with them too much, but for sure, actually, we really embrace you know movement in this terms of capturing whether it be motion capture or volumetric capture, that's what we want to get. Because at the end, you know, no matter how, much, how perfect, 3D, rigor you are, you won't get it as the same way a dancer who's been doing it for 20 years does it, right? So that's one thing. And also, you know what? Uh, musicians. So we actually did a test here of different musicians with their very different instruments here on our stage. Because if you know or if you don't know, Still, in this kind of capturing technology, the biggest problem is capturing hands, fingers. Fingers is really hard to get as, you know, high resolution as possible, especially when they're moving. So that's why we've been playing with um, specific like dancing and also a lot of uh, playing instruments to see how we can improve as much as possible the hand capturing. Because if you guys, we got a guy playing like a bass. I want to see his, you know, his hands slapping the bass, or we had a guy playing a flute, and then all the instruments you can imagine, I want to see that detail of his art. So that's one thing we're still testing, figuring out how to do it the best way possible. And for dancers, it's the same. Um, some of the, you know, contemporary dance, it's all about the hands, or, you know, theater. When we were doing some motion capture, uh, you need to be way more expressive with your body, it's body language, to understand better if I'm doing like an immersive experience, right? So we were playing with that of how can we embrace as much as possible body movement or when you're in an immersive or a game experience, you feel well, whatever you need to feel of that performance. That's cool. You, you mentioned a little bit about the game engine and how that's sort of being incorporated in all these pipelines. I'm interested in A, the way that it's incorporated in pipelines. What's its, what's its function using a, a real-time rendering engine? And be kind of what are some of the difficulties involved with having that? Yeah, so <laughs> game engines have become core of this new process of when I'm saying virtual production, I can assure you like 90% of the time you're going to use game engine in some way, right? So you definitely need to know how to use them. What are their abilities, their capabilities, their constraints as well? Because you have first the technical part, right? At the end of the day, this is a software and there's constant bug fixing and troubleshooting and understanding how anything you integrate into it, like is, you know, whatever you capture in mocap or vocab will react to whatever you're implementing on it. So as you know, you do some visual scripting, like I want this martial volumetric asset to go to this place and then transition to this place. There's a lot of technical stuff to think about because let's call it layers, right? Maybe Photoshop or whatever you want, as much layers you have the more you need to learn how to blend them. So for your eyes, it just looks like one, one dynamic, one single smooth transition, right? So that's one of the main things we've been struggling, working with. For example, I can tell you, I can tell you this detail because it was just released, so I can totally talk about it. <laughs> we just released a music video. It was full virtual production. So the artists, the performers were captured volumetrically and the entire video was created on Game Engine, which wasn't real. So if you can imagine, uh, maybe the director wants to go from you know this take to transition into this take. I have to do it the most smooth way you would with a real 
camera and a real person. But sometimes there's just uh, technical difficulties on it. Um, the assets can spawn inside the engine or in the environment, or you know, sometimes it's too heavy. It's just data we're talking. So just rendering this, I have to consider so much time in my project just for rendering, which is not something you really need when it's just video, like After Effects or Premiere. This is like rendering on game engine. That yeah. could take days, hours, depending on how heavy it is. So tell your client, you know, like, hey, I need just a week just for rendering. So there's a lot of technicality you need to consider when playing with game engine. It doesn't matter what you're doing, but also there's a part of, um, and I think that's the most interesting thing, is in the game industry, they're actually demanding more like cinematic storytelling. So if you go to companies that build games like EA, they're actually looking for more people that comes from the film background. But at the same time, the film industry is looking for more like state-of-the-art technology that is made by game engines. So yeah. they're really blending in into one same thing, even though it's different outcomes, but they're becoming dependent of each other. For someone, and, and probably for some listeners, who are looking to enter the industry and maybe specifically in a production role, what are some of the skill sets or, or tools that you think that they should learn before kind of entering, whether it's in your role or, a, or another role yeah. kind of working in virtual production? I think that's a great question because we've been saying this is all very new, this is emerging tech, this is breaking barriers. So there's not like one still, you know, like resume you need to have in order to get into this. It's more about the mix of capabilities of interest, of knowledge, so you can dive into this kind of thing. So one, obviously, technical experience. You need to have some game or filmmaking background. Uh, you definitely need some onset experience. When I'm talking about being a producer, you definitely need some onset because there's still so many uh, traditional process implemented, you know, like creating a shot list, managing a stage, a whole crew, etc. You also need a lot of time and task management, <laughs> like anything, but because here you have two different teams and pipelines. One is just being on a stage and filming, capturing, whatever you want to call it. And then you have the other pipeline with the creative, the designers, the developers for the second part. So you need to be as fluent as you can between two different kind of worlds, in a way. And lastly, is, yeah, coordinating pipelines and teams and clients and all that kind of management. That you touched on something really briefly there that I thought was really interesting. There's sort of two planes of creation happening. There's the one that that's happening on set where it's it's similar to traditional film in, yeah. that, in that you know you want to capture a certain performance from your actors and and you're sort of trying to to build that space for them on a on a on a stage, right? And then you have the second field of creation, which is happening with your designers and your your programmers and and all these people on the back end. Um, how have you found it is, I guess, producing both sides of that? It can be very exhilarating, but at the same time, very stressful. <laughs> because um, the structure is similar, like you said, to a traditional one. I think director and producer have to be fluent in the entire process with every team just to get to the final vision. But the difference is now that this second team specifically, uh, it involves very different people you normally had in film. So just talking about with a developer of coding, <laughs> it was not a normal thing, right? So being able to at least understand the person, their needs, what they need to code, what you're trying to achieve, how his dependencies build with a designer, 
maybe the 3D, the environmental design, then the visual effects guy. And you know what's the most interesting thing as a producer in this kind of things? I really need to understand as much as possible the entire workflow because there's a lot of dependencies for the pre-production. So you know how they say in filmmaking that we'll fix it in post. That's the most classic phrase you listen to. Now with virtual production, it's let's fix it in prep. As much as I can get in pre-production, I'll get the better outcome because not everything can be fixed in post, especially if I'm talking about volumetric capture. You know, it's just, um, it's so much data. It's so much another organization prep, just to whatever, whoever you're capturing. Yeah. And I can't change that after it. So I really need to know everything my designers, my developers, my post, my digital compositors will need. So I capture it when I'm on, on the filming yeah. part of the project. You only have so many chances of getting like the right capture and the yeah. volume with, with the actor, with the talent. Yeah. I think that's the best, best thing to explain of being a virtual producer is the mindset used to be, I'll find a way to fix it later. Yeah. You now have to find a way to fix it before. <laughs> One last question. And I, you don't have to be a prophet about it, but... <laughs> You know, this is this is a young side of the industry, right? And there's there's a lot of things that are being explored for the first time. You're talking about pipelines and you're talking about sort of the way two planes of creation are happening um, at different times. What do you think is another application of, of virtual production that you'll see in the future? What's kind of the next piece of the in industry it's going to extend out and grab? Obviously, anything related to creating audiovisual content. So right now, I you know the ones with <laughs> the bigger budget is filmmaking, is video games, but it's starting to spread out a little bit more into another part like advertising. I actually come from that background as well, and you know that's one of the places where they have so much creative vision to you know you're creating now like thirty second kind of commercials or videos. But there's not enough, obviously, there's not enough for using all the tools in filmmaking. Uh, so this opens the creative field so much for advertising. And advertising now is fully dependent on technology and how even technology becomes a new use for the users. It's not just like watching something. It's how this brand, whatever the brand is, impacts my life. Just to say Google, right? So... It's really going to hit advertising. It's starting to hit others like music video. So we just created a music video, uh, fully virtual production. And for them, it's just a new way to reach out to their audiences, right? Because we're actually going to build, we're building the VR immersive version now of this music video where people can actually immerse themselves into this music video. So the artist is very excited. You can get even more closer to whatever they're vision was, you know, for this album, for this song, for this collaboration. So that's hitting that part as well. And obviously <laughs> anything audiovisual, it will start to find a way. Anyone who's interested in emergent tech and what can it be done, I would definitely say go for it because like you said, it's very new. Uh, possibilities are endless, but definitely it takes a lot of, because of it, patience and being able to flex and adapt as much as possible because there's not a manual of how to do things. You're figuring out how to do the things. So that's the fun part of being involved in this. So yeah, I, that's my main advice. Just be excited for the unknown. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me in the offices today. You're welcome. Anytime. Feels very official. We even <laughs> had your boss break in. Yeah, anytime. You're welcome, Marshall. 
Interested in learning more about the FCAT community? Stay tuned for a brand new episode of FCAT After School, hitting your feeds every other Wednesday this season. A big thanks to Brenda Medina for joining us here on the show. You'll find links to resources mentioned and more info on Brenda and SFU's Center for Digital Media Master's program in the show notes. Our host for this episode was Marshall McCann, production by Marshall and me, Stacey Copeland. FCAT After School respectfully acknowledges the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, Katsi, Coquitlam, Kakite, Kwantlen, Semiamu, and Tawasin peoples on whose unceded traditional territory our three campuses reside, and where many of these stories shared in our series take place. Make sure to rate us and subscribe to FCAT After School in your podcast app of choice so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. And you can follow us on social media at FCAT at SFU. That's F-C-A-T at S-F-U on Twitter and Instagram. See you next time.